Warning, this podcast will challenge your thinking. Welcome to Business Problems Solved. In this podcast, we help you solve your business problems by providing real examples and practical approaches to make today better than yesterday. Introducing your host, the multi-sector, self-professed, most improved improvement person and qualified business problem solver, Lee Horton. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved. If I was to ask you, what is your favourite type of rice? What would you say? Boiled? Pilau? Basmati? Well, mine is Mark. Mark Rice, and hopefully after this conversation, you will understand the reasons why. Enjoy. Hey, it's Lee. Welcome to Business Problem Solved today. I have the amazing pleasure of chatting with Group CIO, Mark Rice of The Big Word. How are you, Mark? I'm very good, Lee. Good to speak to you today. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Really good. I always find it a bit weird, though, because we have like a 10-minute conversation before on making sure we're all all right, and then we ask each other again. Um, Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. I'm still okay. Nothing's changed in the last few minutes. Well, yeah, right. the, yeah, the only difference is we've, we've hit record now. Um, so, for those people that don't know who Mark Rice is, who is he? What? There are people who don't know? No, I'm joking. Um, I am, uh, so I am a product technology uh, type of person who has spent years probably working in all different parts of businesses. So, everything from supply chain, quality, technology, software development, product, and everything in between. And now that means that I, uh, I run all the technology functions at The Big Word, which is um, one of the biggest sort of language services companies in the world at the moment, um, biggest interpreting company in the world. Um, the difference between interpreting translation, interpreting you speak, translation is written. That's, that's pretty much about it. Um, and the industry is going through a huge change at the moment because it's no longer people driven. It's, it's going to be technology driven in the future. Uh, so my job is to embrace all of these advances in technology and, and make the company a bit more successful from it, I think. Exciting. So I've got quite a few questions though. So, so we've worked, we've worked together in the past um, oh, yeah. and I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute around around you and your creativity and creating products and, and stuff and in terms of your background but first when i saw that you'd uh, you've got a role at the big word what is the biggest word that you know uh it's a very good question what would it be uh xenophobic oh wow yeah it's a fear of foreigners uh, i learned that when i was 13. Did it you? Was a, yeah, yeah it was a we, we had a session at school about xenophobia and it was one of the longest, weirdest words I'd, I'd ever heard in, in, in my life. And uh, yeah, it was probably the longest question, longest word that I'd ever come across at that point. And I don't yeah. know that many words now. I keep it simple for people. That's yes. it. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I want to touch on that and the, the simplicity stuff uh, shortly as well, actually. Um, so when we worked together in the, in the past and, and you, when you articula- articulated your background, it was all about it was about product and new services and things like that. Have you always been a creative person though, that's, that's been able to spot or identify opportunities within the market or, or not? Um, I would say not always, no. I think, I think school, usual, did all right. Um, went to university, did mechanical engineering. And I think doing mechanical engineering was the thing that uh, helped me be able to calculate logic quickly. And 
I think as soon as you can calculate logic quickly, um, it doesn't matter what scenario you get put into, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whatever data is coming through, it's quite easy to say, um, okay, so this is where the demand is coming from. Where, where's the supply? And if there isn't a supply, let's create it. And that's pretty much where it comes from. And actually, uh, normally you throw a hundred ideas at the wall and you've got to be very self-disciplined and really challenge yourself to see if something will work or not. Because actually, just as an aside, I think most people fail in those areas because they become really emotionally attached to their idea. Yeah. Uh, so I tend to keep emotion out of it as much as I possibly can. And if I can't justify it through data, well, my passion's not going to justify it to anyone. So um, the, the first thing is, have we got data? Have we got numbers? And the second thing is, is logic. But actually, I'll let you into a little secret. Oh, go on. All my ideas are the same. Oh, what do you mean? They're all the same, same principles. It's just that when you move to different industries and different companies, they've not come across it before. So uh, when we were a parcel company together, uh, international returns it was about creating one hub where every client could come into and you could call upon a big supply chain but you make it simple for the customers you know one thing uh, in language services you give them one hub simple to catch into and you have multiple suppliers underneath it it's i could we, we did it in hallmark did it in uh, 3m yeah it's it's variations of the same theme simplicity for customer so everyone talks about customer experience but you need to do customer experience, you need to do supply chain experience, and you've got this really important one in the middle, which is employee experience. And if you get those three right, normally you end up with simplicity in and added value and make it as easy as possible for someone to spend money with you. You make it as easy as possible for someone to service that, and uh, you make it as streamlined as possible in the middle to make it as profitable as you can, then actually most ideas in the world come back to being the same. So Uber would be the same as uh, an interpreting management system and there's not really much difference you've got a demand from a customer and yeah. a supply chain so sorry if i've ruined that for you but yeah all my ideas were the same just different versions yeah no, like I making ice cream vanilla chocolate that. strawberry you know it's endless yeah, yeah no completely I, I love that and so when you talk how, we have a tendency um to overcomplicate things how do you keep things simple uh, well because i'm quite simple so i didn't want to say that <laughs> yeah so <laughs> My start point is if I understand it, other people will understand it. That's, that's where I, I go to. Um, but equally, um, you know, when you, when you talk ideas out to people, if you have to spend more than 30 seconds explaining it to them and they're just going like that, you know, you know, you haven't got it. So you've got to go and rethink a little bit. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of trial and error in it. Um, but again, there's a lot of proven ways of doing these things. You know, if you've got data, if you've got an idea, you can normally communicate it. And if you can't do those three things, well, you know, people in the 1980s got impressed with, you know, long words, very, very complicated answers and tech people were put into a little hole, you know, they would sit in a corner on their own and they were the boffins, they came up with the ideas. Yeah. Whereas I suppose what I do is I say to everyone else in the business, well, no, you've got to define the problems we've got to solve. Um, yeah, we can use people to come up with clever ways of solving the problems, but actually, you know, we're not the the uh, the the only people who can innovate and the only people who come up with ideas. And I think we sort of take problems from other people. When you understand the problems from other people in in sort of simplistic terms, not no disrespectful way, um, it's really really easy to speak back to them in a simple and effective way. But some things are complicated. Some things yeah. are complicated. 
you just have to have a bar and um, you know that if you are talking for longer than 30 seconds and they don't understand it, you've probably failed. Um, we have the same rule at the big word, actually. My, my owner, Larry, he has the Larry rule. If Larry understands it, everyone will understand it. It works. Um, yeah. and, and it tends to it tends to happen. I think the other, other side of it, which is where I think you were probably going with this, is what's the most effective way to influence? Because if you're talking about things that the person you're trying to influence doesn't understand, then you failed, then you're not going to influence them. So most people, when they go to watch a football match, don't want to know about the intricate sports science behind how a footballer made it to the pitch that week. They want to talk about whether they've scored a goal or whether they went in for a tackle hard or, or, or something like that. Yeah. It, it's talking in a way that everyone can understand, hopefully. Yes. That's where I come from. Yeah, no, love it. Love it. No, perfect. Uh, so just look at you now, actually. I've got, I've, I do definitely have her envy. Um, and <laughs> as, as a group CIO, and, and, yeah. I, and I think this is going to be probably a, a challenging role in itself, but an even more challenging role over the last six months because you, I'm, I'm imagining now, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would have had people that were working in an office yeah. and then you've now got people who are not, are all working at home or a high percentage of them working at home and you've managed to maintain your hair line. What are your secrets? <laughs> well, the, the grow it long, flop it over. <laughs> that, yeah. that hides it. Uh, yeah, so it's been mad. I think anyone in my position will tell you it's been mad. Uh, I'm quite lucky. Uh, we were a bit ahead of the curve, I think. Um, and it's, it's two ways. So, so what I inherited when I joined was really strong and really robust, but wasn't very agile. And where we got to at the start of the pandemic was incredibly agile. So we've got, you know, we've got people in China who were locking down earlier than people in Europe. So we had to be able to deal with that. People in Tokyo, US, uh, the UK, uh, India, um, two locations in India as well. So we've sort of followed the pandemic from December, January, all the way through to today. Um, in terms of the UK, one thing I'm really proud about is um, on the day that sort of Boris Johnson announced the lockdown, we had 98% of our global workforce working from home mm -hmm. within two hours. Wow. Um, but we'd already done the investments. So... Um, for me, I'm passionate about uh, employees being able to be flexible with their hours of work, where they work from and how they work. You know, it's about value rather than about how many hours they've put in. So what was my blocker? Well, we didn't have online tools. So uh, we invested heavily in 365 and 365E5 licenses for everyone in the business which gives us the agility to be able to do that. We invested in laptops for everybody because we knew that you know, even if you work from home one day a week, well, you know, it's going to be more helpful if you have a laptop than if you don't. Um, we invested in mobile devices um, to help people do what they need to do. And we created a great infrastructure across the globe over the last two years that meant really um, uh, nothing was stuck to a specific office location. And that, that was because I had a desire to make life easier and simpler for people. It, I promise you, it wasn't because I thought a pandemic was coming. Uh, I can pretend that, but I didn't. But um, uh, yeah, also history, history in the business, you know, a lot of outages, a lot of issues, uh, and we needed to solve them. And uh, the best way to solve them was by sort of de-risking them and putting things in the cloud, a secure cloud. Uh, we use the Microsoft Azure cloud predominantly. Uh, we're building cloud native applications. We wanted modern infrastructure. So the gap was 
we didn't have any cloud tools. So you want employee engagement, you want employee flexibility. And one of the things that actually I've always lived and died by, I think, in, in my views, and it's only modern modern world that you can do it with, is, you know, why do I only have to find the best software developer in Leeds? Because he can travel to a, an office. Why can't I get the best one that lives in San Francisco and let them work for us? It just seems mad that you have to employ people that live within a radius. So I think there's a way to go before we change that completely in culturally and everything. But, you know, there's two sides of the coin, isn't it? It means why do I always have to look for a job in Leeds? I don't. Um, but equally, um, I don't have to look for people who work for, for the company that live in Leeds. I think it's win-win. Yeah, completely. You've mentioned the word uh, employee. Well, you've used the words employee experience a few times when you articulated your um, your improvement stuff around supply chain experience, customer experience, and the one in the middle you said is the most important one: uh, employee experience. Then you've you've mentioned around your people uh, and flexibility. What is it like to work? What's it like to work for you? And what's it like? What's the what's the culture um, at at the big word like? And how, how have you created that? Uh, so to work for me is hard work and you have to be able to work with gray areas. That's the, that's the key. Yeah. There's no hard and fast rule for anything. Uh, uh, my one principle that my whole teams know is that we do more of what works and we do less of what doesn't. And if that means we're doing something different on Monday than we did on Wednesday, then so be it. That's just how we work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a Spotify evangelist, a bit of a Google evangelist. Um, I love some of the principles in there. I don't think they all work, but, you know, I like to be able to have uh, less bureaucracy and more chaos. I like to be innovative rather than controlled. Yeah. Uh, and I like to trust people rather than to tell them what to do. Um, because, frankly, I think people who have the freedom to create and think without pressure, give you a lot better value in the, in the end. And I think so many companies are scared to do that because if you're a manager and someone's not in at nine o'clock, well, you don't know what they're doing. And yeah. that's, that's quite risky and, and people start panicking and they get that pit in the stomach, well, my boss is gonna you know, wanna know what, what my, my guy has been doing from nine o'clock. But really, if you, if, you, if you go to first principles of, this is the value, this is the problems we wanna solve, this is the value, and you work back from there, actually you find that people want to work more flexibly. And um, some people don't, some people want to be in the office every day. That's fine. You know, they can go in five days a week, they can work nine to five, it works for them. Um, as I say, we don't have a rule really. Um, my, to work for me, I think it's a great question. Um, my team will tell you it's seven days a week and it's 24 hours a day. That's what they would tell you. Uh, they would tell you that I'm never happy. Um, and they would tell you that they have an absolute ball doing it. And yeah. if they weren't doing it, they'd be bored. I think that's the key because we always try and create excitement about everything we do. Um, and I don't stop, you know, it's not healthy, but I don't stop. Uh, um, you know, everything's about uh, the project and what we're doing at that moment in time. And, you know, it invests a lot of power and emotion and, and strength into it as much as you possibly can because you want to achieve. And I think that, goes back to the days of, you know, I'm a slave to sport. I love yeah. competition and I create competition. And, and, you know, one of the things that really interesting in the big word, I actually took something from Jose Mourinho way back when, uh, which I love because Did when you, I first joined the big word, no one liked technology. I thought you were going to say you called yourself the special one upon arriving. I said the simple one, All right. uh, <laughs> which was, which was which better. But, 
Uh, yeah, exactly. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be that uh, that arrogant. It would be the more than special one. No, um, <laughs> we've done some good stuff. But I, I looked at it, and everyone hated technology for various reasons, right? I joined a technology team that had their own canteen, and no one else did. You know, so there was a bit of that. Yeah. They had a nicer office than everyone else. Why? Um, because that's what Google and Facebook do, and, and that's fine to a certain extent. But everyone sort of hated us, so they didn't hate. That's strong. I pretended to the team that everyone hated us. And what it, what it did is we all got our backs against the wall and we all came together and we all supported each other during really, really difficult times at the start in the first six months. And then we expanded and we grew and, and we started to have some success and people bought into what we were trying to do a little bit more. And then we didn't need to be so sort of offhandish. We could be a bit more smiley and we could enjoy um, things that went well a little bit more. But you know, it all to me, always comes back to sport and competition. If I, if I don't feel there's a competition, I'm not sure what the point of doing it is. Um, so we've got bigger companies in our industry. Uh, there'll be a couple of companies that are known as the technology companies of, of the language market, and I don't think they're any better than us. So the competition's on to make sure that we're better than them, I think. That's, yeah. that's where we like to get to, and I think the team have bought into it. Um, yeah, and the other thing to work for me is you've got to be good. You've just got to be really, really good. Uh, you've got to have high quality. Um, um, you've got to care about what you do. Um, and you've got to be really, and this sounds really sort of PC, I know, but you've got to be really tolerant because we have like a really independent hiring process, which means we have a workforce that's 50% women. Uh, it's probably 75% non-UK um, from birth. Um, so it's very, very, very diverse. But that's because the only really thing that matters to me is one, you're high quality, and two, you have the mentality of an eight pluser, as in more than eight hours a day. You don't have to do eight hours a day, but you would do more in eight hours if you need it. And it's those attitudes. But yeah, it's hard work. I know yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. How how do you how do you? So I've seen actually you're um, you're and you mentioned you're growing. I've seen a, a post on LinkedIn saying you're growing as well and you're trying to recruit how do you recruit and and paint that picture and make sure that you're getting somebody that that matches that that right culture uh yeah it's a, it's a good question so i think in in the states this would be more common than than what i'm probably going to talk about um but really i had two problems to solve so again it starts with what problem do i want to solve and i want to make it simple i'm not a hr professional i'm not a recruitment professional but Start with the logic. Okay, two problems. One is, how do I make sure I get the highest quality and someone's going to be successful for two years in that role? That's, that's the start point. Second question is, how do I make sure I've got no subconscious bias in the recruitment process? Um, the, the two problems that I want to solve. Uh, and the only way to do it, I believe, is by creating in some independence in there. Um, and you can only create independence if you give people the tools to be independent. So. We spend a lot of time on the job description, a lot of time, because the job description is the start point of what we do. So it's the skills, it's the behaviors, and it's the situations that you're gonna get into, right? That, that's the start point. From there, we build an ideal candidate profile. And that is, uh, if you are looking for someone to work in R&D, you want an innovator, you don't want a task-driven person. So we, we, we ask the same questions to everybody, but we have different answers. So there's no right or wrong answer. We have different answers dependent on the type of person or the type of behaviors that we'd want. And then we do really, really straightforward um, situational questions, so hypotheticals like, what would you do if? Um, so then we get a feel of whether they would be able to 
cope in the environment or they'd thrive or they would you know come back on themselves uh, and then we have a behavioral assessment which would be like well okay you've told me how you would deal with this situation show me that you've done it before so give me an example uh, and bring it to life uh, as well as just the, the usual technical skills and then the hiring manager's job is to ask the questions as well as possible so you can write down all the answers but they then go they get anonymized and they go to my hiring committee uh, and the hiring committee don't know anyone that's been assessed they just know yeah. the questions and know the answers and then we say uh, for this role we need a minimum average grade b let's say old-fashioned a to f and and b is what we want so anyone that's under b wouldn't get offered a job anyone that's over b would get offered a job you know it's a, it's really as simple as that we don't know who they are we don't know where they come from we just know based on the hard work we do on the interview the candidate profile and the job description that we know we're confident in the answers that they're they're putting across um, and that means that we maintain that level of quality because i have a view it's not necessarily backed up with facts but i have a view that the best people at hiring are the owners of the company when they first go from being a startup to yeah. a proper business they know they need to have the best person in charge to look after the finance look after the sales or look after the technology or whatever it might be because uh, they're, they're letting their baby go but then as your organization grows and you go lower down in the organization there's more pressures on people which is you've got to get a bum on seat you know you have to hit these targets this month you've got to do that so they start sacrificing the quality of someone just to get someone in oh yeah he'll do oh he's got loads of potential we'll work with him to get him through they never want to sit and think have we got time to develop them are we going to actually build them up and most often they don't and either someone hates being there or they leave after six months um uh, or they don't go on to be uh, to, to grow in the organization and and really you know i have different rules for different organizations but where we are at the moment and the size that we are we only want to get the best people in in the building at the moment in time we're not a university um you know if we were hundred thousand people worldwide we would think of building our own university to train people up and develop them but we, we don't at the moment so you have to have a slightly different way of working but again I, I can't stress this enough we only do that for as long as that works yeah. and as long as that's solving the problem as soon as it doesn't we need to think of something else so every couple of months we review to see how effective it's been yeah. uh, and we're really really disciplined about that uh, but it's been good uh, actually I've got a new hire who started today a new I and UX and the, the only, you know, he was candidate B. That's yeah. all I knew him as. Never met him before. He's candidate B. And fortunately, he seems all right. Yeah, good. Good. And no, I love, love that. Love that. So when, when you've gone in and, and, and you've influenced a lot of this change, um, how did you get people to trust you, to buy into to the new world? Uh, led from the front. Okay. It's pure and simple. So if we had uh, a major outage, uh, at three o'clock in the morning and we need to fix it i need to be on at three in the morning with the team fixing it with them yeah. um because then the, my own team believe in what we're doing because they believe in the change that we, we want to have so um I, again it's you know it's reference from my past but a guy at 3m presented me seven habits of highly effective people stephen covey um and and that really sort of changed changed really my outlook on everything in these areas when i was about 25 or 26 or something and the the circles of influence and how you have a circle of influence everyone does it's just some some are bigger than others and the only way to boost your circle of influence is by really working at it but you've got to start off small and grow it 
gradually yeah. as you go. So I started off with my own team because if they didn't believe in what we were trying to do, then I wasn't going to influence anyone else. Um, and actually then results. So you take small bits, you build confidence, you build trust. Um, you go out on a limb sometimes and say, actually, the rest of the team may be bored or, or senior managers are saying one thing. You have an alternative view, um, present facts and data and, and do the boring way. And eventually you build trust and, and um, that you then become the de facto person that they go to for the answer, um, which is when you've really got your circle of influence going really well. Uh, but that can easily be knocked away. Again, back to football, you know, a football manager's circle of influence in a football club is huge when they're winning things all the time. Yeah. You go three or four games without winning and losing and suddenly down by the relegation zone, you'll find that you're not in charge of transfers. You'll find that you're not in charge of the finances anymore. They'll bring a new coach in to help you with the coaching. You lose the influence. So you, you only really get that influence when you're, when you're delivering uh, great results uh, sort of week in, week out, which, you know, you said, what is, what's it like to work for me? Well, that's the bar. You yeah. have to deliver great results week in, week out. And the good news is, we hopefully with our hiring processes, that's what people want to do when they join as well. Yeah. Is that's what they want to do. Um, if you want to have a boring nine to five life, there's loads of jobs out there. We just don't, we don't have it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Amazing. Love it. Love it. So as a, as a group CIO who has successfully navigated a pandemic uh, in an organization that's growing, yeah. um, what's the next problem or challenge that you're going to, that, that you foresee coming that you need to, to navigate or, so business wise business wise well so recession uh recession's a big one yeah um there's going to be a lot of consolidation in our market i think there's going to be a lot of merger and acquisitions um so it's making sure that we can still lean in a lean way add value so we don't spend a lot of money to create a lot of value and i think we have to keep that principle it's really dangerous when you grow um that you end up spending money on roles that people tell you you should have yeah. rather than um, just keeping with your lean, agile philosophy and principles that you've had. So scale, scale is a big challenge. So the recession, mergers and acquisitions in the market. Um, and the biggest sort of challenge to everyone in any industry is the rate of change of technology from the big guys like Google and Microsoft and Amazon. Um, you know, they have machine translation solutions. So why do you need us? Well, that's because we create value in workflows and make it simple for customers. But those are going to get better and better and better. So it's about making sure that we understand our market, we change with our market, um, and we create really innovative solutions, really low cost, that provide the minimum viable solution all the time. You know, it's, it's yeah. a principle of mine. Um, and that, that's where we get to. And you find with scale, people move away from minimal viable solution and end up with a lot of waste. And, you know, I think that's something we've, we, we used to talk about in the past is the amount of waste that's created by organizations in a business. And, um, you know, lean gets seen as a bad thing oh you know we're all really busy we're really tired well, actually you should be lean you know I, i'm fat i should be lean um sometimes my you know sometimes i only have eight hours work i should have 10 you know it's it's that type of thing so really they're the big sort of uh, big points i would go and say um the remote work is going to be a big challenge not technologically but um the human side um yeah. Because I'm okay, I'm 41, I've got two kids and another half, we're really settled and remote work works for me. But I, I was once a 20 year old going to work for the first time and the amount of social uh, 
you know interactions you have during those years is predominantly around work and you might not be lifelong friends with people at work but during those years you go out for a few beers the christmas party is more important you know all of these things that that go on and there's a real danger that you end up mixing remote work and um on-site work and then you're on site basically just is tinder for work yeah because that's the only people going to work are single people and all the other people aren't going to work. I think that's a big risk. How do you see, how can you overcome that? Or what are you, what are you putting in place to, to help build that engagement and, and that side? So we, you know, our, our HR team do a great job of reaching out to everyone all the time. We do a lot of surveys. We look at the data uh, an awful lot. Um, but the one thing that we live and die by is um, our opinion doesn't matter. It's the people's opinion. You know, I'm one person. Uh, I said this to someone we both know actually a few years ago who uh, spent an hour telling me about an app that was going to be del delivered for 19 year olds, uh, what he thought and what he believed. And he was 42 years of age. Yeah. You know, he's, he's not really the Insta generation. So yeah. really, we should be asking the people who care. You know, that's the users. Yeah. Uh, and in this sense, we talked about employee experience. Well, I can't make that judgment for them. We can ask them. And I think the only conclusion we can make is that everyone's going to have a different answer ever so yeah. slightly. So we need to be able to accommodate for all. Um, I think the route we'll probably go down will probably be a three and two, maybe. You know, some people will be two days a week in the office. Some people will be three. I think you'll see, like, sales teams around the world will be sat thinking, this is exactly the same as it's always been. Yeah. I never worked in an office. I've always been remote. Um, and that's fine. It works for them. But, you know, think back to the days you know salespeople were very different animals you know a couple of years ago they loved the remote the freedom um going and see different clients here and there and the, the, the hunters you know that's that's what they do whereas really we're, we're asking people who were 18 and 19 who are living in a one-bedroom flat and we're asking them to live and work all in the same space you know 24 7 I, I think that's unrealistic so we need to create options for people yeah, completely. completely. And, and as you've said, it is completely individual, isn't it? So I spoke to somebody two weeks ago and they said that they hate that phrase. There's no um, there's no I in team. Um, and they said, well, no, a team is made of a lot of eyes. Every yeah. single one is everybody's individual. And whatever you do, it has to be tailored for, for every single individual. And I don't that, that's what you'll find. You'll find um, um, you won't have one rule fits all moving forward. It might not be tomorrow. And it might be a couple of years or a few years before it trickles down because it's normally retail that it starts with and or major tech companies and it trickles down through industries. But you'll find in a few years, it will be when you go on your first day, it will be to tick boxes of the things that you want to do and how you want to work. And, you know, do you want a laptop? Do you want a desktop? Do you want a tablet? Do you want to work from home three days a week or do you want to work two days a week or do you want to be completely remote? And you know, my owner lives in New York, in the Hamptons, and my CEO lives in New Jersey. And I speak to him more than I spoke to the CEO that used to live in the UK. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a bizarre world we're in these days. Bizarre world. Yeah, yeah completely, completely. A couple more questions. Um, what yeah. does a group CIO have for his tea? Uh, well, now, interestingly, because I've moved into a... Uh, no, no advertising, but I, I followed a program called Second Nature that is uh, supported by the NHS um, to home cook three meals a day. So I've been cooking for myself for the last nine weeks. Wow. And uh, um, uh, generally speaking, it'll be something like I'll make a chili or a bolognese or a stir fry of beef or, you know, 
some sort of chicken fajita bake and those type of things. Wow. So nothing particularly uh, exciting, but um, yeah. What do you, what do you not do, room. Mark? What do you not do? What do I not do? Get my hair cut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what you. I don't do. Um, I, I don't have anywhere near enough time for the kids. Yeah. Uh, I try to, but I don't think you can ever have enough time, if I'm honest. Uh, I don't drink as much as I'd like to because I don't have time and I don't get out and see my friends as much as I'd like to. But uh, other than that, uh, I try and do a bit of everything. Yeah, no, amazing. Amazing. That, and that comes across as well. I think a lot of your, your ethos and, and how you approach what you're doing, I think he's um, in the results that you're seeing is a testament to the, to the work and stuff that you and the team are putting in. So if yeah. people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, um, maybe about the big word as well. What where could they go? What could they do? So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, I try and uh, uh, reach out to people as much as I possibly can with with either interesting things or things that I just found interesting. Uh, so LinkedIn, just search for Mark Rice and, and it'll come up as the big word. Uh, Bigword.com is always is always there, and take a look at WordSync.com as well. Our latest product that we we launched this year, uh, and people can find out as much as they like about us and um, one of the other things that we're really keen on is we, you know, in a different world, when we didn't have the pandemic, we built a, a building that was designed only for technology people. And we just used to let people come in and just come and have a look and see what you think. Because, you know, people's first day, they had to build a table. Um, they can design it how they want. It was made out of reclaimed materials. It can be blue, it can be pink, it could be your own design, whatever you want to do. Um, just to try and make things a little bit different. So we were really, really happy about bringing people in all the time, and we hope to do that again in, in the future. But yeah, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Have a look on on thebigword.com. You'll you'll find all about me. I'm sure. Perfect. If you want to know. Of course, and, and of course, and why would why would people not? Why would people not? Um, so thank thank you very much for uh, for your time today. And I'm not sure what you're going to go and do next. Whether it's going to be cook one of your three meals, whether it's going to be uh, speak to somebody in another country, who who knows? Whether it's going to be uh, create another hub for another solution or wh whatever it's going to be. Um, what is it going to be actually? It's, we we migrated the remaining products and services <laughs> to Azure this weekend. So we're on a bit of an update meeting straight after, but I'm going to make a smoothie before. Yeah, good on you. That doesn't count as one of your three, though, does it? It is, yeah, it is. Oh, well, so a, bolog a bolognese smoother. Uh, possibly. <laughs> Perfect. Well, no, thanks again for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. And you uh, too, Lee. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Mark. Thanks for listening to Business Problems Solved. You can contact Lee on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lee Horton, the business problem solver, or via visiting www.leehorton.com for more content and to solve your business problems. And remember, saying you know how to do it is not doing it.